there's been a murder of podcast. A bloody mess. Hello and welcome to A Bloody Mess. We are a badly researched true crime podcast. Uh, my name is Jim and with me as always is the other host, Chen. Hello. Today is actually part two uh, of our podcast series and also part two of our series on H.H. Holmes. Tonight we have a special guest, a co-host if you will, in the form of little black and white dog called Noodles. She's normally quite well behaved and quiet and she's ah. Chen's dog, <laughs> but uh, we've done our best to hide all the squeaky toys, but she's very good at finding them. She's currently in the kitchen chasing moths, so if you do hear any scuttling, we're, we've not got rats or anything like that there's no hauntings here yet what do you mean we this is my house <laughs> yeah. I, i've invited myself in also just a warning we had like these 13 year olds it's half past 10 at night but we had these 13 year olds outside having a party who were quite noisy so if you hear some screaming that's not us murdering anyone in a basement that's just these kids in the, in the garden in the back I've been outside and frightened them away as is the norm we used one of those um hh holmes bird scaring machines yes <laughs> my property and it, it worked quite well just for those of you who are dropping in now we would recommend to go and listen to the first podcast episode otherwise and, yeah that wouldn't make any fucking would, sense at yeah. all <laughs> to be random also uh please also check out the interview that we did with fair city podcast network which was fantastic and should hopefully give you an idea where we're coming from with this yeah if you found this podcast it's probably on the fair city network so you yeah go back and listen to it it's good Probably better than these two episodes. Yeah, I think we're we're bowing to other people's superior knowledge of being professional broadcasters, but that's not what this is about. We're trying to invite you into our home, or Chen's home, merely to have a conversation, a few beers, a conversation, and a chat. That's kind of what we're aiming for, really. Yes, telling a story, a bad story. Yeah. And you said beers. We're actually drinking blueberry cider tonight, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. We thought we'd be continental. Yes, they're delicious. It tastes like Ribena. Yes. Excellent. So recap where we've been then. We talked about the World Fair and what a shithole um, Chicago had turned into. <laughs> um, we talked about H.H. Holmes' childhood, getting locked in a GP's office with Skellington. And I would be scared shitless, but James seemed to enjoy that. I, I, I would like that. Yep, you freak. I've um, always been a fan of being exposed to a bomb. <laughs> um, we've talked about H.H. Holmes and his scams. We've talked about building the house. How he hasn't really paid for anything yet. Building the hotel. Killing people. To name a few, we've talked about Julia, sadly, and the child Pearl. We've talked about another wife he's had called Marta, who James really seemed to like, but unfortunately she won't be making another return. Not at all? She, no, sorry. That's... Like, H.H. Holmes didn't kill her, so that's that's good. I suppose she's one person that escaped him. Yeah. Uh, we, we left off last episode with the culmination of basically... a. A double murder, triple murder, if you count the backstreet and backroom abortion that he carried out. Yeah. Uh, really, now he's entering the stride in this next episode. There's going to be some gruesome bits, some not for the squeamish. But we're, uh, we're not going to go into too much details, but it's, it's sad. More children will die. There'll be more insurance scams. But at the end, it's a happy-ish ending. You know? but, but tell me more about these cures for baldness that he was sending away for. Well, we'll get onto the cures of baldness. We will get onto that. But we did end by him selling skeletons to schools. And last episode, we did mention a man named Benjamin Peitzel, who Holmes did send to a 
a uh, institute for alcoholics and pay- Holmes paid for this all and he be- the institute believed that there was a cure for alcoholism. That's not the important part. I mean, Holmes did send Paizo to get the recipe or any tips so Holmes could recreate the recipe and sell it. See, this was the thing. By believing there was a cure for alcoholism, it was about, uh, they thought it was a cure that you could take. Yeah, they injected gold into the bloodstream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Holmes ended up founding the Silver Ash Institute, which would be in the bottom floor of his hotel. But the most important bit to take from um, Peitzel's trip is two things. Peitzel used an alias named Phelps. So remember Phelps. I'm remembering it now. What is it? Phelps. Michael Phelps. No, it's not. It's just normal Phelps. And um, But when he returned, he spoke to Holmes of the most beautiful woman he had ever seen working as a secretary at the Institute. Now, James talks to me about beautiful women. I have no inclination to go and write to them but that's what Holmes did. Holmes wrote to her directly offering her a job as a secretary for double her current salary. He just old time slipped into her DMs. That telegraph went straight in there. Direct envelope mail. That's what he did. She weirdly accepted and promptly moved to Chicago. Her name was Emmeline Sigrand and she soon became attracted to Holmes and his thatch moustache and by all accounts, they had a relationship out with the normal employer and employee relationship. Holmes eventually asked her to marry him, and she accepted. But however, before they had time to plan the wedding, it would appear that Emmeline had become aware of what type of person Holmes was. All his lies, his, his tricks and stuff like that. Not the killing part. And by witness accounts and from the residents in the building, they suggested that she was planning on leaving Holmes. So it was no surprise that Emmeline suddenly left and was never seen again with Holmes claiming she had left to be with another man and got married to this man and he even presented them with evidence which would be a typed note saying Emmeline Sigrand married Robert E. Phelps. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Do you that see was, what I did there? Yeah, that, that's so basically it shows that once he's incredibly imaginative he's kind of limited on his choice of names. <laughs> yes, but <laughs> yeah, so did he have this all pre-planned? I don't know. He's he's a very clever man. I mean, it may well be that there was someone that she was friends with and keen on that was called Phelps. Yeah, maybe. And that's where he got the first idea for the name. He was trying to perhaps frame him almost. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe you're right. You know, um, it was never really proved that he did kill her. However, a couple of things stand out. Residents reported seeing a trunk leaving Holmes' office the day after she was last seen. And Holmes and Peitzel were locked in the office all day. A few weeks after, Chapel, who we spoke about before, his kind of right-hand skinning man, received a trunk containing an unknown woman, possibly Emmeline, which he went on to skin, clean, and um, another college got a, a skeleton for education. It was surmised later by police um, when they eventually caught up with him and they investigated the murder hotel. They found in the room-sized safe Holmes had installed years before that there were... Um, woman's footprints engraved on the door now the only way that a, a, a human any strength would manage to leave footprints on a iron door would be if Holmes had been lacing the floor with acid in order to speed up the gas reaction meaning the woman must have been barefoot pushing the door with her feet with her last gasp trying to escape this really does hammer on how horrific it is because not only was she being gassed with the chemical reaction obviously producing horrible acrid fumes to breathe in the acid was also caustic and 
corroding her skin, basically, and the metal that was in there as well. So it's... Well, if it's going to stay in metal, you imagine well, what yeah. it's going to do to her feet. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't a, I'm being gassed, I'm going to quietly go to sleep and then yeah. not wake up. This was a there was panic. There was yeah panic poisoning. Yeah. And um, for Holmes, he liked the sense of this person panicking, realising what was happening, and, you know, just realising they're going to die, and that's what he seemed to like and get off on. These footprints eluded police and even Holmes for years before they were discovered, and these possibly could have been Emmeline's footprints. So moving on a bit after that sad story, um, 1983, just before the fair started, Holmes now had numerous businesses on the go. A mail order cure for baldness, the Silver Ass Institute, and of course all the rent from the building, um, the residents in the building. But along with this, he still had, he was still in debt to many furniture stores, you know, and the the iron company, the furnace builders, and stuff like that. And he was also being um, barraged with letters from families looking for missing women, private investigators, and looking for these missing women as well. And at this point, Holmes knew he wouldn't be in Chicago for much longer. Sorry, it's important to note that these people were not accusing Holmes of anything. They were just asking questions because they knew the women were at this hotel. And where was this hotel? Oh, this hotel was in Chicago. I have a a few facts about Chicago. Uh, The city actually reversed the flow of the River Chicago to aid with the sanitation and clean water supply. Ordinarily, the river should flow into Lake Michigan, but it was reversed to flow into the Mississippi. This is the fucking insanity that we're dealing with at the time. <laughs> they were turning rivers around just because they could. Yeah? And this is absolute madness. I didn't know that was even a possible thing. No, it's... I don't think it's so much... Because, I mean, I thought rivers all went into the sea, so I thought they were forcing it back up into the mountains. But <laughs> I don't know that's... Would, would you just call it redirecting a river? No, they literally reversed the flow. Yeah? 100% reversed it. It's... Maybe we should do that with the Nile. That'd be a challenge, be. wouldn't it? Okay. However, with um, all these people looking for missing women, Holmes had a larger problem. Well, in his eyes, this was a larger problem. He had a lack of secretary, which leads us on to Minnie R. Williams. Holmes knew Minnie from a previous business trip to Boston, and the pair had kept in touch. And Holmes had even travelled back and forth while still still married to Marta. Sorry, I forgot she makes a comeback. <sighs> That's it, though. Um, oh. He would travel back and forth to court Minnie. And if, but eventually he just stopped he must have got bored and when he stopped she um, moved to Chicago she found a job in Chicago moved there and she wrote to Holmes of her arrival but however many knew Holmes under a, a different name which was Henry Gordon but she called him Harry but she was now while she was in Chicago she was under strict instructions to call him Henry Howard Holmes so he had changed it to that for business reasons eventually Holmes doing what Holmes does. Holmes proposed to Minnie, and again she accepted. Minnie, however, was by all accounts, um, she was not as attractive as the previous woman in his life, so why had he chosen her? The reason was probably because he had found out that Minnie was left in a state by an uncle in Texas worth, in nowadays money, $3 million. I thought he made the decision because she was absolutely dynamite in the sack. Maybe. I, well, that could be it. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> The, the book didn't go into that kind of detail. So. No. no. I, that's my a hunch that I have. <laughs> um, yeah, so he probably had his eyes on this estate, and he probably maybe had plans for another hotel in this estate. We don't know. But he proved it that he was just after this estate, as he convinced many to sign over possession of the estate to a man named Alexander Bond, who in turn signed it over to a man named Benton T. Lyman. Little did many know 
that Alexander was Holmes and that Benton was in fact Benjamin Peitzel. He had tricked many into giving him the estate and even worse than that, he insisted on a small wedding, just the two of them and the preacher. And even though the ceremony went ahead like this, there was no official record of them ever being married. So he's faked a goddamn wedding there. It makes you wonder if it was actually a real uh, clergyman that did the wedding. Perhaps that was someone he just paid. Maybe. Maybe it was. Maybe they did get married and this guy's just not managed to find the records. I've not certain. I've not looked for the records. I've had a bit of a look. Yeah. And I, did, I couldn't find it. He's in the marriage record 400. Yeah. I uh, I looked in your kitchen. <laughs> I looked under the settee. And I, I, I haven't did you look behind the fridge? I could, I could look now. Oh, no, we don't have time, do we? Once the World Fair had started, Holmes began receiving guests for his new hotel. If any men turned up, he would tell them his hotel was fully booked and soon his hotel would be full of women travelling alone, which made Minnie very jealous because he was such a charming man. He ended up buying Minnie a new house far away from the hotel, proving that he had money. But all this says to me is he now saw Minnie as an estate waiting to be moved into rather than his wife. It does sound like a good plan that door, doesn't it? Yeah. Every, every, yeah. Time a man, every time a man turns up, you're like, oh, I'm sorry, we've no room. And then it's, it's like when you're queuing up to get into a nightclub and the bank's like, don't, don't let you in. <laughs> no more and they're like, you two from the back, you two girls, come here, you can go yeah. in. I was in the strippers once and convinced the bouncers I was gay. So he managed to get, I, I got into the private bit. Yeah. He was like, no, you can't get this naked women. I was like, sorry, I'm gay. <laughs> yeah. True story. Did they do any checks to see if the women were having any effects on you? or No. No. To be fair, I just went in to grab some people and, and I leave. So, <laughs> you're not, you're not allowed to do uh, that. We were close to missing our train, so I had to get the, I had to get in. So I said anything I could to get in, get these people. And we missed the train. I had to phone the guy's um, wife-to-be and did the bit of the hangover. It's like, um, Vicky, we fucked up. <laughs> and I paid £180 for a taxi home from Edinburgh. Jesus. Then I went to work at six in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And now, now here we are, eight hours later, doing a podcast. <laughs> um, where were we? Within weeks, however, four people who had um, either been living or working in the building had gone missing. There were reports of women suddenly leaving and not paying their bills. There was um, clothes left in rooms, but Holmes was just, you know, he was forgiving all of this. And there were reports of the, the chemicals, smells from um, the basement being smelled in the corridors but no one bats an eyelid because he was a doctor i think also a point with that was that when someone noticed it so someone said oh this you know there's a lot of people just go missing everyone there was like oh it's always been like that yeah because that was all they'd known yeah and it was it was literally like each each crime that he committed kind of backed up the official story of oh it just keeps happening they just keep going yeah yeah, because yeah. it was another person left and everyone just went oh I guess these people do just leave all the because people at this time have never seen anything like this they wouldn't have thought it would happen and people like I said people in the last episode who mentioned that people were flocking from the smaller towns and villages in the outskirts of the area people coming yeah. from different states exactly. to the freshly rebuilt city so people were a little little wet behind the ears a little naive mm-hmm. and they were and it probably was a time where it. people were just getting up and leaving because they could there was no Facebook checking so no one really knew where people were no yeah how did people live without Facebook check-ins? Did they have Find My Friends on the iPhones? <laughs> yes. Why that's... did they not use that? That would have been easier. Yeah. <laughs> With this hotel, then, Holmes had at his disposal an almost endless supply of people he could kill in different ways. However, he would never really kill face-to-face. Face-to-face, 
or if he did, it was while they slept with no risk of a fight back. The safe was used to muffle the screams and pounding of people trying to escape. Oh, interesting fact, he actually had the safe sound tested by um, Ned. We spoke about Ned in the first first episode. The jewelry shop owner. The jewelry shop owner who H.H. Holmes stole his wife and killed his wife and and daughter, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Spoilers if you're going to listen to this episode two then episode one but I have to say if you listen to episode two then episode one you're you're a fucking numpty (laughs) you should just follow things in the order yes if if we're putting the effort into make this podcast I think you should put the effort into listening to them in the correct order yeah or just fuck off (laughs) um yeah or in in the please please don't fuck off we we would actually like you to listen but it's this kind of just underlines how we're quite joking yeah sorry sorry James I wouldn't I won't tell our listeners to fuck off again. Thank you. Um, Yes, the safe was used to muffle the screams, or he would use the rooms. Some of the rooms were airtight, so he would simply turn on the gas while they slept, or he would just sneak in to um, chloroform them. However, all the bodies would end up sliding down the grease chute to either be burned in his furnace, disposed of in quicklime, or they would just be sent the way of chapel to be passed on to teaching institutes. What he seemed to like is the power... Um, he had it over these people's lives and in their moments of panic he seemed to really like hearing people panic being terrified and slowly realizing they're going to die especially the people in the safe however these were only short-term highs for homes and once it passed he needed his next fixed and soon i think a lot of it is also he, not only is he getting his thrills from murdering the people but he's also getting his thrills from not murdering them he's allowing them to live another day so he's got the power literally everyone who's in a room in his building mm-hmm. he has control of whether they live or die and it, it, you've got to imagine having that much power all the time. You are going to feel like a god. Yeah. And you're probably right because see, there is a quote. I don't have the direct quote here. But in his memoirs, after, in his, and this was in his confession, that he confessed from the moment he met Peitzel, who became his, basically his best friend, he intended to kill Peitzel and his family. So maybe you're right. And he, was, he loved letting them live, thinking they were friends. Yeah. It was just, again, just power tripping, just more egomania bullshit. Yeah. Us. Yeah. And we'll move back on to Minnie for a while. Minnie had a sister called Anna. And Minnie told Anna that she was signing over this estate. And Anna didn't like Holmes anyway. And her suspicions only grew after this. She was not convinced that he was the man Minnie thought he was. To combat this, Holmes invited Anna um, for an all-expenses-paid trip to Chicago. To where? Chicago. That's funny, I have a fact about Chicago. Oh, really? Did you know that, relating to my last fact... The river Chicago is dyed green annually every year to celebrate St. Patrick's Day in a rather contrived act of celebration. Does it do anything to the fish? Um, Have you seen Rampage? I don't care. (laughs) Rampage is a big giant crocodile thing going about in the city. Maybe it's because they dye the green, the the river green. I don't think so, because the film actually explains why, but does it? I had you go in there for a minute. Perhaps we should both watch that film so we can comment on it further. Oh, yes. Okay. Then we'll do a podcast on it. No. no. Okay. But yeah, she was invited to a, an all expenses paid trip to Chicago to see the World Fair. And she was so impressed with Holmes and Chicago, she accepted an invitation to stay for the summer. On July the 4th, a day after a day at the fair, Anna wrote home with some exciting news. Holmes was going to take her and Minnie on an all expenses paid trip across the U.S., that he will make sure every need was attended to. Her family were instructed not to worry about her and any reply should be sent to Chicago where it would be forwarded to, um, forward to where she was. Um, the day 
The next day, before they set off on, the, on this adventure, Holmes requested Anna come see the hotel while Minnie was to stay home and pack. Holmes showed Anna the hotel and then showed the office before asking Anna if she would collect something for him from the room next door, which was the safe. Needless to say, Anna was never heard of again. And from what I read, he just let her suffocate in this one. He didn't turn the gas on, which is goddamn horrific. Yeah, that, that really is bad because this is the thing that the realisation that what's going to happen is going to sink in. She's going to think, oh, the, the door's just shut. Could you could you just open the door? Yeah, please, because sir? what he did is he snuck up and he, he just gently closed the door. Yeah. So she's probably just, if she's even noticed, she's probably just gone, oh, the door's just shut. Yeah. He'll open it in a minute. Yeah. And then slowly and slowly you'd panic. And yeah, that's that's horrible. Dealing with many next, well, I'm not going to go into detail, but we'll just say that two more trunks were sent in the way of chapel. When, when you listen to everything like this, it's just it's horrific. I mean, obviously people didn't know what was happening because it was literally a man who was in the eyes of everyone, completely innocent of anything yeah. at the time, mm-hmm. a business owner sending boxes to another business. And it wasn't yeah. that bad. But when you're listening to it, it's, it's nightmarish. Yeah. Um, so soon after that, Peitzel and Peitzel's family received some free clothes and shoes. So I wonder where he got them from. That's... Yeah. Did so... they have name tags in? <laughs> no. Property of Minnie R. Williams. Yeah. Well, who's that? Well, I killed her. Oh, whoops. Oh, you caught me. Yeah, I, I found them. <laughs> um, On the body. <laughs> they just turned up in my safe. Yeah. So nearly single and a bachelor on the prowl, Holmes realised with mounting debt and people looking for these uh, missing people, he realised his time with Chicago was up and he made plans to leave, but not before he began to court a saleswoman named Georgina York. They eventually married... Holmes' third official marriage, but this was under the name Henry Mansfield Howard. So now he's got three wives that don't know about each other. I suppose the, the constant name change would also allow him to have these several official marriages. Yeah. Because they're going to check. I don't know if he'd have a registry to check, but it's not going to. There's going to be no way of it ever flagging up. By this point, I don't think he was speaking to his first wife, Clara, um, and I'm not 100 percent sure where where his second wife is, Myrta. Marta. She'll forever be in our hearts. Marta, your heart. I'm going to find out where she was buried and we're going to go visit. We should. Yep. Anyway, this leaving Chicago was not a moment too soon for Holmes. Um, as he was tempted to flee, he set fire to the top story of his hotel and tried to claim on the insurance, this time using another alias and the insurance company, after a detailed investigation, decided it would pay, but only if the alias Hiram S. Campbell turned up in person to collect the payout. This was not possible as the investigator had met Holmes numerous times during the investigation. The important thing this investigation brought together was all the creditors started speaking to each other. And they're all like, ooh, this guy owes me money. He's owed me money for three fucking years now. Ooh, yeah. debt party! So he was invited to what he believed was a meeting with one lawyer about one debt, but he was confronted by 12 separate lawyers and companies that he owed money to. During this meeting, he was given excuses, he was making offers, and it was seen that some of the lawyers was, were kind of nodding in agreement, saying, okay, yeah, he could he could do this. Um, so he was eventually asked to wait in a separate room, in which he decided to flee, taking Georgina and the Peitzel family with him, but not, in, not before insuring Peitzel's life for $10,000, which is roughly $250,000 in real money. That's an insane amount of money. It is, isn't it, for some yeah. drunk's life? Just, but no, yeah. but no, I know why. 
get gold in his blood. Oh, yeah. Uh, intrinsic value. Yeah. Um, well, when they left, you know, he's he goes all over the place. But to make money, what he did was he, again, in a different city, I presume Missouri, because that's where he ended up in jail, he decided to um, take out some pharmacy equipment on credit. Then he would sell the equipment to make money. He got caught for this, ended up in prison in Missouri, where he met a man named Marion Hedgepeth. Hedgepeth was a cowboy, really, a train robber, and that's why he was in jail. He was very famous at the time, apparently. And they would become friends in prison, and Holmes um, would eventually leak a plan to fake Peitzel's life for the insurance money to Hedgepeth. Holmes soon left prison, and proceeded with the plan to um, fake Peitzel's death for the life insurance money. Did this, him and Peitzel, on a business trip away from the Peitzel family. Um, and they did it by blowing him up in a room. Um, an apparent suicide. You mean like like a balloon? No, Infinity. I mean like... Boom! Oh, sorry. Yes. Um, to pay out, the body must have had to be identified... And um, Peitzel's wife, Carrie, was too ill to travel. So their 15-year-old daughter had to travel to identify her father's body. So they did get the payout. But upon hearing this, Marion Hedgepeth, um, remembering the scam that he was told by um, Holmes in prison, decided to kind of grasp on him, to tell on him. I don't know who he told. He told the, the police for some sort of deal, the life insurance company. But anyway, the life insurance company then hired the Pinkerton National Detective Agency to hunt down Holmes. They sound fantastic. They sound really useless. <laughs> However, they found him, so maybe well, not. That shows how much you know. Yeah. <laughs> Pinkerton. Is Pinkerton a place? Who knows? He was found a month later in Boston, and what follows now is a little bit more complex, but again proves exactly how Holmes' mind worked. And he was always thinking a few steps ahead. So he was arrested then for fraud of um, potentially faking Peitzel's death. But it's become very apparent that he actually murdered him in a fire and tried to make it look like a suicide. And so what comes next is um, the police, while Holmes was in custody, the police trying to work out what actually happened in that month before they caught him in Boston. It's important to note that Holmes was um, looking after three of the Peitzel children because Carrie was ill. He had in his care Alice, 15, Nellie, 13, and Howard, 8. The, these children were missing um, while Holmes was in custody. So there was a detective designated to find out where these children were. and This man's name was Frank Geyer. And he was joined by a district attorney, George S. Graham. And they would both now embark on a cat and mouse chase um, around the country. They, the only clues they had to go on, because Holmes was denying everything, were letters that Alice, the 15-year-old, was giving to Holmes, who he said he would post to the mother. And they found these letters in a box in um, Holmes' possession. This really just shows... How hard the police were working, really, because they had Holmes in custody. They had him held in the cells. He was refusing to say anything, and they were trying to piece together, trying to find these children, essentially, because they were nowhere to be seen. They believed that he'd offed Peitzel, 
We had a sick woman, a sick widow, who had done the best thing she could do with her kids, which sent it to the only person who'd probably ever been nice to her, to be honest. Who, He's, they're her husband's best friends, by yeah, all accounts. Exactly. And then the police have basically got a man who sat there saying nothing, and they're trying to track down where these children are, basically. It's, it's a terrible state of affairs. It is, and the only thing they had to go in with these letters written by a 15-year-old. Yeah, and this is after the fact. So they, they literally found a box of letters, say, and they're trying to basically find the kids from these letters. Yeah, and it was cat and mouse. So Geyer's search um, started in June of ni- 1895, and going through the letters, there was no indication of the children being with Holmes. But he was able to work out a rough route through the country of where they had been. So I'm going to assume that Holmes um, knew he was being chased or he was just moving about to try and hide in case the insurance company came after him. He was probably aware that he would have to, to keep moving. Yeah. I, I yeah. think it was more of a probably an instinct more than a knowledge. Yeah. And Gare's search started in Cincinnati. Going from hotel to hotel using pictures and descriptions asking if anyone had seen them in the months um, since the, the letters were written, eventually they found a, ho- a hotel under the name Alex E. Cook, who was travelling with three children. And at that point, it dawned on Gare that Holmes had a reputation for using aliases. Never making things simple, Holmes moved hotel in the same city for a second night using the same alias. Gare knew this, as one of the letters suggested that they stayed in Cincinnati for a second night. Gare knew now that this was not going to be straightforward, and the second hotel was able to confirm pictures that Alex E. Cook was in fact H. H. Holmes, who checked out the next morning. The next letter then suggested by that night they had headed to Indianapolis, but on a hunch Gare looked into properties rented for him for the following nights and found a house was rented under a different name, but eyewitness accounts point to Holmes. Further investigations suggested Holmes didn't stay in the house, so the search continued. So I, I suppose he's also told the the child that was writing the letters he said oh tomorrow night we're going to go to such and such a place not so sure and you'll find out why shortly exactly it's, yeah. it's fascinating it's, it's all over the place yeah. you'll see how his mind works shortly and what he had under his control the next letter directly stated what hotel they stayed in that night so that's where the detective took his search under a new alias this time taking Carrie Peitzel's maiden name Canning it was clear to the detective that Holmes had stayed there the register told them it was for one night, but the letter suggested one week in the city. Gear conducted a similar search to that of Cincinnati hotel to hotel and found that Holmes' wife was travelling too, but it would appear to be by herself, so she could have been in one of the rented houses that we were just mm. talking about. Yeah. Um, finally, the search led them to a closed-down hotel where three, the three canning children were, um, were on the books, on the register, he hunted down the former owner and showed him the picture and the children were instantly recognised, telling of how they were often seen crying by staff. He recalled Holmes telling that he wanted rid of the responsibility of looking after all three children. After this, Guy went to Detroit as that's where the letters led him. This time, knowing Holmes' pattern, things should be simpler. Nope. He found out that Carrie and her other two children were staying in Detroit at the same time. This meaning Holmes was now moving three different parties around the country, city to city, probably unknowing of each other. Carrie and the children uh, had not seen each other for over a month and they were staying three blocks apart and didn't even know it. 
That's insane. That just shows the audacity of the man. It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The final letter, warning, this is the worst. It was from Alice. And remember, this girl was 15. She was complaining of not having a jacket, being freezing, and that Howard, aged eight, was no longer with them. Writing this, crying probably, not knowing her mother was only 10 minutes away. Geyer then ended up in Toronto after days of searching hotels. A tip came in from a Scotsman that Holmes had rented a house in Toronto and Geyer found out from the Scotsman that Holmes had appeared and moved in with a mattress, old bed and a large trunk. That evening Holmes had come over to borrow a shovel to bury potatoes and the next morning he returned the shovel and removed the trunk from the house. Once they were certain of it, it was Holmes, they went back to the house and dug in the basement, thus uncovering remains of two human bodies belonging to Nellie and Alice. Um, Nellie had her feet cut off because I believe she had clubbed feet and Holmes cut them off to try and help with not identifying the body. Ah, so avoid so detection, yeah. Avoid detection, yeah. Oh my God. Um, there were no signs of a violent death and Holmes later admitting that he'd suffocated them with gas in the large trunk. Though still, it must have been a struggle to get them in. You're not going to get them to, no. to get in. Yeah. That, that's, it's horrific. It's no, by no means a mercy killing or any no. sign of kindness. He just wanted them out of the way. Yeah. yeah. It was a, they were probably execution. holding them back, Yeah. and he was just like, I need rid of these people. Yeah. At this point, Carrie was summoned to identify the two girls, Carrie being the mother, and she later remarked in court when asked she if she had seen them since Holmes took them away. She said, yes, I saw them in Toronto, in the morgue, side by side. The other child, Howard, was still missing, and finding um, Alice and Nellie had now prompted police in Chicago to search the remains of the Holmes Hotel, because he'd burnt it down, presumably as well, trying to get rid of any evidence. Yeah. Um, it was now becoming apparent what Holmes had been doing, the realisation that during the World's Fair, Holmes could have killed hundreds of people, especially with his guile and planning. The police found rooms with no windows, rooms with airtight doors, and the gas jets, stemming from Holmes' office leading to portions of the rooms. When they ventured the basement, vats of acids containing skulls were found, ribs were found, dissection tables stained in blood, and lots of quicklime. The majority of these parts belonged to women. They found gifts that Holmes had given to many in a pile of ash. In another room, there were more vats filled with more remains. Skeletal remain was found of a child, believing it to be Howard, but after a medical examiner checked it, it was likely that this was a girl. So this was probably going to be um, Pearl, who he'd killed previously. Jesus. I mean, it's, it's when you wonder, when you think, oh, how could he How could he have done, how could he have offed the children in the trunk? And you think, well, he's... he's it's just force of habit it's what he's always yep. done he's always just offed people he's basically ended them and then cut them up for his own entertainment the dissections will have been a folly of his and yeah. then cleaning the bodies for, to sell on it's just yeah some of it was money some of it he just seemed to enjoy he just, just, view, he just viewed death as another aspect of what he did what I find interesting none of this seems to be very sexual he wasn't like sexually attracted to the children you know, no. he didn't. He, he didn't also, do a sexual gratification. He also didn't have a, a typical victim. Whilst they did have, yeah. whilst his victims were, were a lot of the time were young women. It's probably because that was who he liked to have around, and it yeah. was who he had access to. Yeah. He had no issues getting rid of the children. 
no issues getting rid of Pike's all he needed to. Yeah, he, he, he killed anyone. Yeah, yeah, I think it was more more the act of ending life that did it for him rather yeah. than any other circumstances. You know who didn't die? Who? Murta. <gasps> yes, Murta. Oh, my sweet Murta. <laughs> With all this going on, um, Gyro was still searching for Howard. He went back to Indianapolis and followed more tip-offs. He got like 900 tip-offs. Um, which were no use until finally led to a house where a man said to have helped home set up a wood-burning stove in which they found ashes containing human teeth and also a toy which was a spinning top previously bought by Peitzel for Howard at the World Fair. Geyer had finally found Howard. No. <laughs> After over a month of searching, the hotel were discovered and now Holmes was to be tried but initially only in Philadelphia and only for the murder of Benjamin Peitzel. If that failed, then he would have been tried in Toronto for the murder of Alice and Nellie. But there was no doubt. Holmes was found guilty and then sentenced to death. Eventually, on May 7th, 1896, Holmes was to be hanged. Before his hanging, he asked for a prolonged death, asking the man to take your time, old man. But shortly after that, Holmes was hanged and it took him 15 minutes to die and um, that now ends our story but on a, a couple of little side notes Holmes did leave instructions with his lawyers of how to he was be buried he refused to allow an autopsy of his body um, they were instructed to bury him in a lot of cement so he could never be exhumed so that ruins our weekend plans doesn't it it really, it really is fascinating that someone that had such an interest in basically cadavers, anatomy, dissection, things like that, just in his final moments had a big fuck you to the rest of his peers, really. To say. I think even his memoirs were a big fuck you because he said he killed people who later turned up alive or later died of different causes. Yeah. So I think a lot of it was a big fuck you. All of it was games with, you know, running about with the children, stuff like that. He was probably sitting in... Um, the prison just l- loving it but watching this league a detective yeah. go around the place and searching for the children um, another side note which is maybe why he didn't want his body exhumed a lot of strange things happened um, to the people surrounding the home's capture and capital punishment this might you know point to the fact that he actually was the devil detective <sighs> detective gear became seriously ill the warden of the prison committed suicide. A jury foreman was electrocuted in a freak accident. Um, a priest that delivered the last rites was found dead in mysterious circumstances. The father of Emmeline was burned in a boiler explosion. Jesus. And a fire destroyed the district attorney office, leaving only a photograph of H.H. H. Holmes. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't think that's true. No, there is some artistic license in that. I, I think a lot of the times it's it's what, it's what you read into it because we're saying that all these people died these brutal deaths, but as we said earlier earlier on at the start of episode one, everyone was dying brutal deaths at the time. It was yep. a brutal time to be alive. Yeah, it yep. was. It, it wasn't the safe, refined, nice place to live that the world is now. Yeah, it was violent. It was full of accidents, and it was dangerous. It was a very dangerous place, especially with H.H. Holmes around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so reading this story, knowing what Chicago was like, it really leads me to, to believe that Chicago is not a nice place to live. Was not a nice place to live. Yeah, now it's probably lovely. 
Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it is, but we are talking about it at the time. Funny you should mention Chicago. I actually <laughs> oh, have a God. fact about Chicago. What's this one? Uh, this one is uh, it's basically it's, it's one that some of you may know, some of you may not. Uh, Chicago is known as the Windy City, as this was uh, where wind was actually invented. Wow! Uh, before this, the weather was calm and still. Uh, <laughs> And this invention provided a much-needed boost to the city's struggling kite industry. Did it also, you know, burn it down with the fire? Uh, Did it also help the fire? Possibly. I mean, we're not going to point fingers. Yeah. I have heard that um, Chicago has a booming kite industry. Yeah, Yeah. obviously now. It is the windiest of cities. (laughs) It's the windiest of cities. As a slight disclaimer, not all of the facts I've presented to you throughout the course of the podcast have all been true. And what? This is a greatly researched podcast. Yeah. And and finally to wrap things up, um, Jim, if there was one thing you could take away from this sad story, what would it be? Well, I like to uh, basically like to look into getting hold of some gold to inject into my bloodstream <laughs> to try and cure my baldness. <laughs> that's 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 what I'd like to really look oh, into. Oh God, um, mine would be to always do my hotel research on TripAdvisor. Yeah, that that is that is. Ending on that utter nonsense, um, I would like to thank you on behalf thank you. of myself and Jim. Yep. This has been our badly researched podcast on HH Holmes. If you've liked what you heard, please um, listen to our later podcasts when we start releasing them. You can follow us on Twitter at, at mess underscore podcast. Instagram is called a bloody mess podcast. So until next time. See you later, motherfuckers. <laughs> it went well. It did go well. Yeah, yeah. You've been listening to another great podcast from the Fair City Podcast Network, a group dedicated to connecting and developing podcasts. Check out fcpod.net for more great podcasts and content.